Nursery Podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. Like the first time you've actually said your name in a long time on this. Trying to be professional. Are you? (laughs) Can't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's up? (laughs) What's up? What's up? I don't know. This is Music History Podcast. So we're probably not going to talk about music history for a while, depending on Mika's mood. But this is a music history podcast where I'm trying to teach her music history. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Follow us on social media. Do you remember our handles? Of course I do. It's on Twitter is the only one that really matters. And sound of history underscore. Um, And then Facebook is just sound of history. Yep. And leave us a rating, review, all that fun stuff on iTunes and Spotify. Let us know how you feel about us if you like us. I I don't know if I'm in a place where I can hear that people don't like me. Okay. Well, all that's out of the way. So what? Now we're going to go into our show within a show. Mika is the host now. It's called Mika's the host now. Mika just gets to ramble about whatever she wants for a long time. Arguably too long. Hey. (laughs) Don't try to censor me. I'm not. (laughs) I've given you your own show. Speaking of censoring. Mika's the host now. I would like to plug The Good Place. We're finally finishing it. And apparently there are still people out there in the world who haven't finished it like us. Y'all, we should all watch it. (laughs) Also, I need to learn how to cuss like like Kristen, Kristen, I almost said Kristen Stewart. Kristen, Kirsten? Kristen Bell. You got there. (laughs) Took a little bit, but you got there. Way too many deviations of the word Kristen. I know way too many Kristens and Kirstens and Kirstens and Kirstens. Oh, goodness. <laughs> anyway, I really need to learn to curse like she does in the show because it's Kirsten. all like... Sorry. I know, but I know so many Kirstens. I know, but I was I was making a play on the word curse. Okay. <laughs> I just need to learn how to start saying fork and, and bench instead of the real words because I feel like it's funny and also won't get me in trouble. So. It might. What? Really? I don't know. I feel like any you can make anything get you in trouble if you truly believed in yourself. Mm, I don't like being in trouble, so I'm not going to test that. <laughs> Um, I have a headache. There's that. Um, I would like to plug reading your medication bottles for the dosage because I have been overdosing on Tylenol for like months. That's not good for my liver on top of like wine. So that's a bummer. Um, make sure you do that. Don't just assume you know what's going on. None of us know what's going on ever. So we should all just learn that. As a society. Okay. Are you <laughs> Are you done? You know, today for self-love, I took a shower. That's what, that's what self-care looked like today, was taking a shower, like the whole nine. Ladies, am I right? Like the whole nine. It takes a long... What's the... What's the time. good place? It takes a long time. No, what's the good place word for ass? Ash. It takes a long ash time. That <laughs> just sounds like I have a lisp. Yeah. Anyway, I did that. Yay, me. I'm not like looking for a party and like fireworks and like party poppers. Yes, you are. You're because always I took looking a shower. for fireworks. That's true. I am always looking for... Why are there not fireworks commemorating (laughs) the fact that I took a shower today? I'd be a little worried if there were. That means someone was watching you take a shower. That's your job. Why don't you have fireworks for me? (laughs) I'm just saying. They'd be scared. So you care more about the cats than about my happiness? No, I also don't want to set our apartment on fire. I'm scared that my... My parents' house is going to catch on fire because we used paint thinner yesterday to, like, Bob Ross paint. And it was very difficult. I'm very bad at it. And so I gave up halfway through. And I also had, um, um, what's the real name of the, the turpentine song? 
Isn't it like Brandy Carlisle? I have no idea. <laughs> it was in my head for like okay. bi- like four hours yesterday. That's a good song. I'll plug that. The Turpentine <laughs> song. Okay. Oh my god. All right. Are you? And it's six a.m. I'm all messed up. It's not. It is eight p.m. and you are all messed up. All right. Are you done with your? Mika's no longer the host now. Yeah. Okay. Mika's no longer the host now. Yeah. Take it away, buddy. All right. Everyone, give her applause and fireworks for I, her. Listen, fantastic. if there is not a fireworks show in the next twenty-four hours, you're probably going to be disappointed. I hate I to break sh- it to you. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're going to talk about music history for a little bit. Just a little bit. Nah. Last week, and it was actually last week, doing two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. We talked about soul music. Sorry. <laughs> we talked about soul music. Do you remember anything about soul music? Could you tell me what it is? That was espresso martini, Mika. It was. And wine, Mika. Heck yeah. That is nothing about soul music. <laughs> no, but it's about my experience with soul music. Okay. So you don't remember anything about it? Um, no. <laughs> okay. Soul music basically was like gospel music. Can I clarify something? Yes. For the listeners. Okay. This is because I have a bad memory. If this is your first time listening to the podcast and I say... That was espresso martini Mika and wine Mika. And then I don't remember anything. That's just par for the course. Yeah, that's true. She doesn't. I don't black that. out. I just <laughs> don't pay you attention. Just black out the information. Continue. Uh, soul music is basically just gospel music turned secular and pop. People would take like gospel songs and change the lyrics and make them more pop and secular oriented. Very. Large vocal performances generally on them. I remember this now because we played Tina Turner. No. Oh. We played Aretha and Diana Ross. Yep. (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) I thought we talked about Tina Turner. I'm sorry, Tina Turner and Diana Ross. We also talked about a guy. Do you remember him? We told a little bit about his story. He had a wild death story that people don't really know for sure what happened named Sam Cook you know I think this is a sign that we all need to go back and listen to the last episode <laughs> I think you need to go back and listen to the last episode for sure <laughs> can't believe you don't remember that story it was a very <laughs> <laughs> sorry it was in a hotel and he That's got right. shot and, and everyone's like the front desk lady did it yeah well she shot him but it was like whether or not it was in self-defense and it was yeah. whether or not he was being a not nice person at the time whatever mm-hmm. that was last week go listen mm-hmm. to it if you want to hear that story yeah that was pretty wild today we're going to talk about another one of the titans of soul music do you remember who tina turner no ray charles oh yay he is one of the most important and instrumental people in the birth and development of soul music. So what I know year are we in right now? Like into the 50s, like mid 50s to okay. early 60s. I know you like know about him, but do you know anything about Ray Charles? No, I, I don't think that I do. Okay. okay. All right. Well, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see as we're talking about this if you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I probably did not. I think you m- more than you realize maybe. He plays piano. Yeah. That's what I know. He is also blind. Did you know that? I was going to think that, but then I didn't want to get him mixed up with Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Nope. So I didn't say anything (laughs) in case I'd look dumb. But I am dumb, so. That's not true. Yeah, I am. At the point that Ray Charles started making music, soul wasn't really a thing, but his songs kind of helped define the genre. And we'll listen to quite a few songs in this episode, so might be a little bit of a longer one, but there's going to be a lot of music, so. Yay, music. 
music. It's also going to be harder to edit, which is a lot of fun for That's me. That's too hard to edit ones in a row. Yeah, last week's was rough. <laughs> it's a lot of editing. It, it It's a good episode. It's the one where we <laughs> maybe finally figured out the sound balance. Maybe. Hopefully. We'll see how <laughs> this episode goes because I'm not loving it yet. Ray Charles Robinson was born in Alabama in 1932, but he grew up in Florida. Is he Florida like like Florida man? Well, not like not to that extreme. I don't think he was criminal. We'll we'll find out. We'll how see what quirky, you think at the end. How quirky Florida E is he? We'll see what you think at the end. We'll see if you That means he was. His father worked as a railroad mechanic and, as Ray said in his autobiography, was hardly ever around. His mother worked in a sawmill and did laundry on the side for extra money. Good for her. Apparently, his father, a man named Bailey, was married to someone else and they took in Ray's mother, Aretha, when she became an orphan. But then, when Bailey got the 15-year-old Aretha pregnant, it was a scandal and that's why she went to Alabama yeah. to stay with his to stay with her family. And that's why Ray was born in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. That's icky. Yeah. A little weird. Just, just, just a little weird. <laughs> God. Later, she moved back in with Bailey and his wife. But Bailey, oh. ab- but Bailey shortly thereafter abandoned the family and married another woman. That sounds par for the course. Yeah. So I don't really know what that meant. Like, I I didn't look into it well, that much. Well, it meant much. that he's an asshole. Yeah, that. But <laughs> I don't know what it meant for Aretha and little baby Ray. I don't Probably know if they stayed the with the wife in that house. That would be <laughs> a fun didn't. sitcom. Yeah. It's like Three's Company, except weird and worse. <laughs> Ray had a young brother, but no one remembered who his father was. So it was like a half-brother. Ray was devoted to his mother, who was often sickly. Around the age of three, a man who owned a local cafe started to teach Ray how to play the piano. That's wholesome. Yeah, it's nice. It also just from, like, we've had a lot of that throughout this podcast. We've had a lot of, like, just random people just being like, yeah, I'm going to teach this kid. This kid wants to learn how to play something. I'm going to teach him. And then they turn out to be, like... That's so precious. Like music history defining artists. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they might not have been if that one guy hadn't just been like, yeah, I'm going to just teach this guy to oh play. Oh my goodness. Like Scott Joplin, th- he was like that. I think one of the Gershwins were like that. It's crazy. The Gherkins? <laughs> yes. If that just doesn't make your heart melt and also make you want to be a good person, yeah, I don't know what will. Well, well. We're going to stay on this high for a couple seconds longer. Oh, no. What horrific thing. It takes a turn. What horrific thing. When he was five years old, Ray watched his younger brother drown in a laundry tub, despite Ray trying his best to save him. That's a lot of trauma that I'm sure he didn't get to fully hash out. It also led to a John Mulaney joke. What joke? There was a movie based on Ray Charles' life called, like, Ray or whatever, and he took a woman to see it in the theater and and he asked her like so what'd you think of it and she said i don't know it was a bit dramatic i could have done without the whole little brother dying part and he was like yeah so could ray charles good god <laughs> <laughs> well that's just he can't not make a joke about that <laughs> yeah, one exactly <laughs> that was handed to him on a silver platter <laughs> oh john mulaney i hope that he's doing okay Checked into rehab not too long ago. I know. Isn't he getting out soon? I mean, I don't know. Depending on how his recovery is going. Hopefully it's good. John Mulaney, we wish you all the good in the world. As a result of glaucoma, Ray started to go blind around the age of four, and by seven was completely blind. That's rough. So it's safe to say that his life wasn't always easy for the family when he was a kid. Got a couple couple traumatic things going on. You know, yeah. Your dad leaving, your brother dying in front of you, blindness. Yeah, well, it's it's a little bit, quite a bit for a seven-year-old to... Oh, my God. <laughs> I want to give him the biggest hug and Already. make sure that everything is okay. That normally happens at the end of the episode. Oh you say you want to give the people a hug. <laughs> We're not oh, even a page in. And there you're are so that. many hurting children in this world. Oh, my God. I hate it here. 
So poor, uneducated, and still mourning the loss of her son, Aretha tried desperately to find a place that would take in Ray. Oh, Aretha, you angel. So against his wishes, Ray started to attend the Florida School for the Deaf and the Blind, where he really started to learn and develop his musical talent. A teacher taught him both classical music as well as how to read Braille to read piano music. Ray, ha- Dude! What? You know, have you seen, like, the Braille Legos? Is that, that all Legos? They all have little bumps on them. No! Braille! As in, like, little there's a, a language <laughs> yeah, on the... you. I, but like, why, why... Well, it can why teach Legos? all children... Like, all, uh, it can teach all children... Braille, yeah, yeah essentially, cool. so that like everyone kind of knows it. That's that's a pretty badass yeah, thing that's cool. by Legos. I just didn't know Legos was out there trying to teach kids to read. There, you know. All right, I mean, that, there you go. Too. Hopefully, it works out. I love that. Ray had a great memory for music and perfect pitch, which really helped him being a blind musician. I just the perfect pitch people. Yeah, it's not fair. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I've known several of those. Just crazy. Yep. How? I don't know. Your brain is, like, on a different level. I'm so jealous. At the age of 15, Ray's mother passed away. Of course. Yeah. His father had already passed away before that. Well, <laughs> a lot of good he was doing them. So, at age 17, Ray was now blind and an orphan. But he knew Braille. That's true. Well, he could read music through Braille, too, which is cool. After the death of his mother, Ray left school and started to work in dance bands around Florida, dropping the Robinson from his last name so he wouldn't be confused with the popular boxer, Sugar Ray Robinson. So now he's just Ray Charles. I'm having a hard time picturing... Sugar Ray Robinson is anyone besides the front man to Sugar Ray. <laughs> same person. We'll just go with it. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're the same person. During this time, he primarily worked with country and western bands, which added more depth to his later music. He could incorporate aspects of country and classical into his music style. But he soon left those bands and started touring with R&B bands where he would write and arrange music, as well as playing the piano, saxophone, and clarinet for them. Just, just you know, just, yeah, just chill. Basically everything. Early in his career, Ray was kind of modeling himself as a Nat King Cole-style crooner. Just mm. kind of amazing how many people of this time period were, like, trying to be Nat King Cole. Like his influence was incredible. Oh, Nat King Cole. We're going to talk about him yes. soon. Just when we do our little mini break and talk about the Rat Pack. Rat Pack mini-series. His, uh, Ray's earliest recordings, made in Tampa or Miami, not really sure which one, showed him as kind of that more like Nat King Cole-style crooner. Here is one of his first recordings yes. called I'm Wondering and Wondering. Me too, Ray. I also am wondering. breakups go <laughs> okay well, that's what he said why'd you leave me alone yeah in 1948 at the age of 16 ray started to get tired of florida and he knew that most of the popular recordings of the day came from bigger northern cities so he moved to chicago 
Not quite. He thought New York City and Chicago were a little bit too big, so he used all of his savings to follow his friend to Seattle, Washington. Oh, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Florida to Seattle? Yep. He also moved so he could have his own band instead of playing piano for other people, which, you know, he started his own band shortly after moving to Washington. Couldn't he start his own band wherever he ended up? I mean, probably, but uh, he had friends in Seattle who would, he could already oh. like join in with their band and stuff. Cool. The McSun Trio featured Ray on piano, his friends McGee on guitar, and Garrett on bass. So McSun as in McGee? Probably, and I don't know if Garrett is like Garrett Sun or Sun Garrett. Son, I don't know, but Sun probably came from somewhere. Uh, This trio soon started playing the 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. shift at a local club called The Rocking Chair. Yikes. Eventually, the trio would get a local television spot and even release a couple of singles that gained some popularity in the area. Can you imagine playing 1 to 5 at a place called The Rocking Chair? I feel like the only people that you have there are old (laughs) anyway. So everyone's asleep. 1 to 5. Maybe they wake up at like 4. You have a good hour. Yeah, that's true. Of like, you know. Getting them hyped up for the day. Yeah. His first single actually made it to number two on the R&B charts. Wow. Which obviously made it his first national hit. I don't know that this is that song, but here's <laughs> one of his earliest songs called Confession Blues. And this is maybe that song. Well, it's one of the songs from the spirit. I don't know. It's hard to find some of the earlier stuff. Going off of YouTube. Boy was watching love. I wanna tell you a story. That would be funny. What? As if this song was love. <laughs> it wasn't a hit. Yeah. It's got 65,000 views, so it's and still good. the girl that I loved robbed me of the happiness I dreamed of. Okay, we'll stop it there. No, does it get better? I don't think so. It's been a long time since I wrote this episode. I don't remember. I mean, he's not, this isn't soul yet. He's not there yet. He's still playing around, learning his sound, developing. That was definitely not a number two hit. Okay. I'm just saying. After moving to Los Angeles, Ray started to... Oh, yeah, we can't do (laughs) Chicago or New York, but sure, let's go to L.A. Well, he's probably got a little bit used to the size of (laughs) Seattle, and was like, all right, I can do a bigger place. After moving to Los Angeles, Ray started touring with a blues musician named Lowell Folson. Ray had previously worked with a few other prominent blues and jazz artists like Dizzy Gillespie and Cole Porter. He was making a name for himself as a massively talented musician and arranger. Like, obviously, in the blue circuits, but just in general, too. I thought that you were about to teach me what arranging was. I was <laughs> like, no. please. I, no, I know. I'm sorry. I, I thought worse of you than you were. Yeah. And I apologize. I mean, you never know. I never know what you do or don't know in this. That's a fair point. Ray, I like to say that I'm dumb, but then I like to say that I'm smart. Ray signed his first recording contract with a label called Swing Time Records, which he released two songs for. Both of them did pretty well, cracking the top ten of the R&B charts, but not well enough because Swing Time folded a year later and Ray signed to Atlantic. At this point, Ray started to get a bit of a reputation for mixing genres. He took his Nat King Cole influence, added some blues sounds, along with his country music influence, and his classical music education, and his jazz arrangement talent (laughs) to create something special. Honestly, at first when you said he started to get a reputation for mixing genres, it was like almost negative (laughs) was like oh no he's (laughs) he's getting a reputation it's like for mixing drugs or something (laughs) like that's what that's that's what i expected almost but this sounds lovely this sounds like a freaking thai soup mixture of all of the things and all of the flavors i think that's what he was going for thai soup yeah he wanted to make thai soup into music Maybe that. Uh, listen, <laughs> okay. 
You know the soup that I'm talking about. And if anyone else has had Thai food, which I'm sure they have, it's all the different flavors. It's salty and sweet and savory and spicy. And like, that's a great analogy (laughs) for complex music. (laughs) Thai soup of music. Okay. He also incorporated a lot of actual like storytelling into his songwriting, which was probably might had a little bit to do with like his country music influence because that was kind of what country was known for. He had a unique, strong voice that was boosted by deep-throated growls. So all around, he's just trying out things, trying to mix and match, figure out what works musically. Deep-throated growls, that's a phrase. (laughs) That is a phrase. In the early 50s, Ray released singles for Atlantic that achieved some modicum of success. His song, Mess Around, became his first hit for Atlantic. And, of course, we're going to play Mess Around. Well, I mean, I wasn't sure if you were going to play the actual song. No, now, or? I can, now it's Atlantic. Now I can find them. This is 8 million views also. He doesn't look like he's enjoying it. The smile looks like it is. This is ah, you can talk about the pit, barbecue. The band was jumping, the people too. Ah, mess around. They're doing the mess around. They're doing the mess around. Everybody doing the mess around. Yes, the storytelling is just ah, fantastic. Everybody was juice, you can bet your soul. They did the boogie boogie with a study roll. They mess around. They're doing the mess around. Let me guess, people were mad because this is too They're doing the mess around. I don't think so. Everybody doing the mess around. R&B charts, people are used Now, uh, when I say stop, don't you move a pay. When I say go, just uh, shake your right, leg. Let's mess around. His first hit for Atlantic. Then, in 1954, he started a brand new thing that is perhaps what he is best known for. He combined gospel, jazz, and blues to create a song called I've Got a Woman. Originally, he claimed that he wrote the composition, but then admitted that it was based on a gospel song called It Must Be Jesus. What? I don't know. Okay. I mean, we also talked about this last week, so... This is sometimes considered to be the first soul song ever released, and it was immensely popular. Everyone did a version of this song. Elvis, The Beatles, John Mayer, Johnny Cash, Sammy Davis Jr., and even Bill Cosby did a version of it. It's considered the prototype for soul music. And we're going to listen to it now. Yeah, I mean, even though we listened to it last week, it's just so important to soul. We're going to listen hear to the it John again. Mayer version. Too bad. This is the Ray Way over town, that's good to me. Oh, yeah. Say, I got a woman. Way over town, good to me. Oh, yeah. She give me money. Oh, yeah. When I'm in need. <laughs> yeah, she's a kind of friend indeed. I got a woman. So I've got a woman. I won't listen to a lot of it because we already listened to it last week. I'm really curious the John Mayer version of this. Okay, well, I don't want to play it because I don't want to have to find it and add even more music to this episode. Through the 1950s, Ray continued to tour, spending most of his time on the road. He also recorded more music, some of them hitting the R&B charts, but he wasn't really seeing any crossover success. He wasn't hitting the Billboard pop charts at all. By the end of the 1950s, other musicians started to call Ray the genius because of his incredible music talent. He never worked in just one style. By this time, he was cutting jazz records with a group called the Modern Jazz Quartet while also like developing the soul sound. He was no longer just a Nat King Cole imitator, but he was doing his own brand new thing. In 1959, Ray finally started to see a bit of crossover success when he released his song, What I Say. That hit number six on the pop charts. And this song was the pinnacle of his recording career with Atlantic. 
He said he wrote it spontaneously while on the road with his band, and it blended gospel, jazz, blues, and Latin music. Latin? Interesting. Some radio stations banned the song because of its sexually aggressive lyrics. Right. But it was still a runaway success, getting Ray and his music in front of brand new audiences. Let me hear these sexually suggestive lyrics. We'll get there soon. It's also widely considered one of the first and most influential soul songs. It was basically an evolved version of I've Got a Woman, finally mixing all of the elements he wanted to mix into it. Like, I've Got a Woman was kind of seen as, like, his first attempt, taking little baby steps, and this one, people were like, okay, this is what he was trying to do. So here is his sexually aggressive... Oh, I can't wait. What I say. dramatic reading here are the lyrics no me 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 me. okay Okay. Ooh, come and love your daddy all night long daddy kink you can't say you want to read them and then read them to yourself on a podcast <laughs> why not to read them literally it doesn't get worse than the daddy kink we're just gonna sit here in silence oh, here while you read to yourself hey hey so. ho ho hey hey ho ho hey hey ho ho hey you can't go okay, be calling I'm, I'm no, no, no 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 say that it's all right baby it's all right Whoa, I feel all right now, yeah. Make me feel all right. Wow! <laughs> this is weird. I don't like this. <laughs> this is great. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, we are done with what I said. We're moving on. <laughs> One of the lyrics was, wow! We all know what part that is. Ray's contract with Atlantic ended in 1959, so he signed a very lucrative deal with ABC Paramount and scored an immediate smash success with his very first single with them in 1960. Georgia On My Mind Mm. earned him his first four Grammys, and it also became the state song of Georgia. Since this is just a music episode, we're also going to listen to that. There's going to be so many songs in this one. When did the Grammys start? Not too long before this, I don't think. I think it was in the 50s. Every time I sing this song. Why was Georgia on his mind, do you think? Donna? I sing for... My job. Georgia's a person. Oh, Georgia. Get Georgia would be Just typical Georgia. This old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Georgia, 
Sure, it picks up. That's all we're going to listen to. Now I'm just picturing Georgia being a person and the state of Georgia being like, yes, this is us. <laughs> we're loved and cherished. Everything is about us. That's, I'm just, honestly, I think that makes sense. Okay. He immediately followed that hit up in 1961 with another Grammy Award winning song called Hit the Road Jack. Hit the Road Jack. Don't come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Yep. Hit the Road Jack. Don't come back no more. It was written with an R&B singer named Percy Mayfield and first recorded in 1960, Acapella. Ooh, I want to hear that. Oh, I bet that was cool. Too bad. We have too much music already. I want I bet that was cool as hell. That's probably cool. But Ray made it famous when he recorded it with the Ray Letts, which was his all-female vocalist group that was formed specifically to sing backup vocals on his songs. Part of me thinks that's like way egocentric and the other part of me is like, that's amazing. It's just branding. I know. Yeah. But like, that seems awesome. (laughs) Around this time, Ray was starting to focus on interpreting music rather than writing it. So he'd take songs like this and reimagine them as something else and something different. Songs like what? Like Hit the Road Jack. Hit the Road Jack was his though, wasn't it? No, because it was originally written... By an R&B singer named Percy Mayfield and done a cappella. Oh, and then he I thought it. they worked on it together. I don't think so. That was my impression of what we just talked no. about. Well, I don't think so. I think it's just as a cover. But here is hit the look at them ladies. Yes, ma'am. They're the ladies. You snap. They are the stars of this. In 1962, Ray helped country music come into the mainstream by releasing an album called Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music and a follow-up album, Volume 2. Long Ash title. Yeah. Long Ash title. I'm sorry, you're right. (laughs) With these albums, Ray gave his own soulful interpretations of some of country's biggest hits. Some of his versions of these songs topped the pop charts for several weeks and became his only number one records in the UK. At this point, Ray had almost unparalleled creative control over his music for an African-American artist of this time period. Love that. He started touring with a large band, which was a side effect of his incredible royalty rates and performance fees. He could afford to pay them. Cool. He was on top of the music game. And just for fun, we're going to listen to one of his country songs. I can't get over this picture. It looks so posed and it's cracking. <laughs> like, that's what I do when people are like, I'm going to take a picture of you. Laugh. And I'm like... Ha 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 ha! Like that's this vibe. It's useless to say. So I'll just live my life in dreams of yesterday. Alright, that's one of his soulful country songs. I was bored. Despite his commercial success, Ray had a few personal difficulties. Did he now? I'm shocked. 
most notably an addiction to heroin. That's about right. In 1961, his hotel room was searched and they found heroin, but he wasn't arrested because the warrant was deemed unlawful. Wow. Yeah, it's very surprising. It is. He also had a near-death experience when his private plane's windshield frosted over. I was waiting to hear about how this connected to the heroin. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. This is just about his personal issues that were happening around now. The pilot circled around a bit before a small portion of the windshield cleared and he was able to land. Dude. Way to go for that pilot. Yeah. Like, can you imagine just like literally flying in the air? Like, I can't see anything. (laughs) I hope no one else is up here. Yikes. Ray said that that experience was a very spiritual experience for him. Oh. In 1964... After his third arrest for possession of heroin, he agreed to go to rehab instead of jail, and he finally kicked his addiction at a clinic in Los Angeles. Cool. After that, through the end of the 60s, Ray had several more hits and was considered one of the most respected musicians in America. All right. I like it. Yeah. So the 60s was kind of like his heyday. Even though he was battling his addiction, he was still Listen, going through hard times makes for great music. Yeah. But by the 1970s, his music was rarely played on the radio. Oh. The explosion of psychedelic rock made Ooh. him seem a bit outdated. I'm not a fan of the whole psychedelic <laughs> thing. It makes me feel trippy, and I don't like trippy. It, uh, yeah, made him seem a bit outdated, and the money he continued to earn for his old hits removed the desire to write any new songs. When it's like he's still making right. bank, so why worry about it? But How is he making so much money if they're not playing his stuff? I mean, record sales, royalty, I don't know, licensing. But even still, he kept the music coming, releasing several albums. He won another Grammy in 1975 for his cover of a Stevie Wonder song, Living for the City. We're not going to play that one. We've played too much already. Never too much. In the 1980s, he wrote on the back of his past success and basically just played into the whole living legend thing, which, you know, like, why not? More power to him. Cool. He appeared in the Blues Brothers movie. He was one of the first inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hell yeah. He hosted Saturday Night Live. Hell yeah. Starting in 1983, he recorded a string of country albums with people like George Jones, Hank Williams Jr., and Willie Nelson. Hmm. So just kind of like, <laughs> he's, he's at the point of his career. He's just doing shit. He's like, I can do whatever I want. I don't care anymore. Like, my legacy is secure. I've made enough money. I'm just doing what I want to do. And that's where that. everyone wants to get to. So, like, more power to him. In the 90s and 2000s, Ray's career was clearly declining. He appeared in a few different commercials. He got into a bit of trouble in the 90s when he did an interview and talked about his views on Elvis. Do you think he was in a Geico commercial? I don't I don't think he was in Geico. It was a Pepsi commercial that was his big thing. Oh, listen, Pepsi commercials are fantastic. Well, we'll get there. I think we're going to watch one. Heck yes. Anyway, got into a bit of a tr- bit of trouble because of his views on Elvis. Mm-hmm. because he thought Elvis stole his sound and music from African-American artists. Okay. A view that is now far more mainstream than it was when he, like, originally was saying that stuff. Okay. Like, now a lot of people say that, but he was one but of the few. it was because Elvis grew up around that sound. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still debated. But Ray said, quote, to say that Elvis was the king I don't think of Elvis like that because I know too many artists that were far greater than Elvis, which is fair. Yeah. I don't think Elvis was the best at what he was doing, but he just got popular for some reason. I don't think a lot of the people popular now are the best at what they're doing. Hot take. In 1991, he did a commercial for Pepsi that introduced him to a new generation. So that was fun. And here's that commercial. Yeah. You know when you feel it, baby, you hold it, you hear it, you taste it, it's right. You got the right one, baby. You got the right one, baby. Oh my gosh. You know when it's right. You know when you taste it. You got oh yeah. Right. All 
Listen, I will never in my life want to drink a Diet Pepsi, but I sure do right now. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to get in touch with Pepsi and see if they'll pay us because we was just a played one of their ads. That marketing. During his career, Ray Charles shaped American music in new and interesting ways. He really was the genius, as his friends used to call him. He had one of the most interesting and recognizable voices in American music, up there with people like Louis Armstrong. A musicologist said about him, quote, Sinatra and Bing Crosby before him had been masters of words. Ray Charles is a master of sounds. Yeah, totally. Ray influenced so many different artists that it's impossible to name them all. He was also very involved in causes that he supported. Love that. He always supported the civil rights movement and was a noted advocate for MLK's philosophy. Mm. He refused to perform at a few places that required segregation. Nice. Which is like huge because like Nat King Cole also did that mm-hmm. so people of their status doing that was like a huge thing yeah that hits them a lot of the younger people couldn't do it like a lot of the up and comers like they had to play wherever they were allowed to play because right. that's how they made their money to feed their family so mm-hmm. by like the big guys who didn't need it doing it like it was eh, just very that's very awesome. helpful he also started in 1986 the Ray Charles Foundation which was focused on funding organizations and institutions who are researching hearing disorders. It is dedicated to raise quote and belief that there is nothing too great that you cannot overcome it. Ray was married twice, his first time for less than a year and the second time for 22 years. All right. He said after losing his virginity at the age of 12 to a 20 year old woman, he got quote, Hooked on women. End quote. Oh my God. Yeah. Icky detail. <laughs> Icky. 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 He wrote in his autobiography, quote, cigarettes and smack, another word for heroin. Oh my God. Are the two truly addictive habits I've known. You might add women. My obsession centers on women. Did then when I was young and does now. I can't leave them alone. I mean, women are phenomenal, but oh my God. (laughs) Ray blamed himself for his second marriage falling apart, which it sounds like he was kind of right to. He says that his heroin addiction, affairs while on tour, and volatile behavior caused the breakdown of their marriage. I mean, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) They had three sons together. I don't really know what happened to any of those sons, but you know. He also had a six-year-long affair with one of the singers in his band, which ended when she passed away of a heroin overdose. Yikes. Ray had a total of 12 children with 10 different women throughout his life. All right. In 2002, he held a luncheon for all of his children and their families. (laughs) Ten of his children attended. He told them that he was mortally ill, and he placed $500,000 in trust for each of them. To be paid out over five years. Okay. Yeah, cool thing to do. Wait, 5,000? 500,000. Five hu- okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> 5,000 over five years. I was like, like <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it's like you get a rent payment a year. Ray first tried marijuana at 18 because he was told it helped musicians tap into their creativity. Soon after that, and to be clear, I'm not saying the two are related. He became addicted to heroin for 17 years, which resulted in three different arrests for possession. He was arrested one other time for possession of drug paraphernalia. But after his last arrest in 1967, he decided to get clean for good. So he locked himself away and spent four days cold turkey to get over it. That's which is so dangerous. Brutal for heroin. The judge then, like after he did that, noting his like desire to get clean, sent him to rehab instead of jail, which was might have been a decision that saved his life. Never know. In 1963, Ray was planning on going back on tour after a successful hip replacement, but he started to suffer from other ailments. I don't. Is that true? I, I doubt it because that says 1963, but that's early in his career. Yeah. Uh, that di- date might be wrong, so just ignore that. Just Google it. Might have been like 2003. I don't know, well, I don't know where I got that information, so I don't know where to even Google start. Google Ray Charles hip replacement. 
I mean, he had glaucoma at age like five, so. Yeah, but like we're winding down. So I think it's 2003. Yeah, that's what I guessed. Yep, it was 2003, not 1963. I don't know where that came from. He passed away in 2004 from complications with liver failure at the age of 73. His final album released two months after his death, and it consists of duets with his longtime admirers, like B.B. King, Van Morrison, Willie Nelson, James Taylor, Elton John, and Nora Jones. That's lovely. That album won eight Grammys. And that's Ray Charles. He sounds lovely. Yeah. He's a very influential, inspirational dude. All right. Well, next week or whenever, I need to stop saying next week because we never know. Next episode. Next time on Sound of History we're doing, Podcast. We're doing like a complete 180 and talking about bluegrass for a couple weeks. Woo. And then we're taking a little bit of a break from the meta narrative. And we're going to do uh, a little mini season on the Rat Pack, which will be fun. It'll also feature our first ever episodes not about musicians. That's really wonderful. I'm very excited about that. I think it's only one episode. I think it combined the two non-musicians into one and Mm -hmm. then felt bad about it. Because the second guy we talk about in that episode, Mm -hmm. like like he had a big complex towards the end of his life because he Mm -hmm. felt like a a sideshow act to people like Frank Sinatra and Nat King. And I was mm. like, well, <laughs> I kind of like relegated him to a side man status in my episodes, but you know, whatever. Uh, I, I mean, I it, guess so. he felt that for good reason. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. So you, I don't feel like you loved a lot of Ray Charles music. Mm, I really enjoyed, um, what was the song where what I fi- say? Yeah, where he like blended all the Latin sound in and like that was a really cool sound. Yeah. But I feel like that wasn't necessarily his vocals, like that was That was his arrangement. Arrangement. Did yeah. he arrange it? Yeah. Okay. It's his song. Cause that was his thing around that well, point. I mean, he stopped like writing his own songs and he started just like reinterpreting songs. So he was still arranging them. He that was, was one that, they ca- that he came up with, with his band on the road though. Yeah. Yeah. That so one like, was his, but like hit the road, Jack. I do wonder oh. like, okay, you come up with it organically with your band on the road. Like there were some other hands in that arrangement. Probably. Um, yeah. that, uh, that was by far my favorite. Yeah. All right. Well, See how you feel about bluegrass. I like bluegrass just I fine. I do not like bluegrass. It's got a fun energy and a good backbeat. Well, hopefully we will see you guys next week. Goodbye, friends. Have a good week. Be safe and enjoy life.